Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Okay, the room tone has been received. Time for a little sound. Checky, check, check. You know I know how. Make them stop and stare as I go down. The club can't even sandal me right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. All right, sound sounds pretty good to me. Here we go. Three, two, one. We're back. That's quite a sound check. We sitting here, I supposed to be the franchise player, and we in here talking about practice. Clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Rebound box. Back out to Allen. History point of game. Gives it to Jenkins for the championship. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Bases loaded. Two out. We're back, baby. It's the Charity Stripe. Pitch your free throws because they're free. Sold 149. Coming hotter at you guys and sold 148. And I'm flanked on my right by defensive coordinator Alex Toss Me the Rock Tisopolis. Uh Nikki Snacks Kreider, our offensive coordinator and other co-host, couldn't be here today on Wednesday. I, I feel like it's my fault, this one, that he couldn't be here this time. Because I've been going around saying for years that if you get Salmonilla, you deserve it. And that's just been a big, you know, motto of mine. I say it all the time. And he was out to eat last week and he contracted salmonella and he's not doing terrible, but he's not doing great. He's definitely a little He's bit, not like in the hospital. He's not in the hospital, but he's just to clarify. Just to it's clarify. Not like I don't want to be super situation. alarmed. But he is sick. He's not He's on the bounce back. He's on the bounce back. For he's sure. gonna come up. And I don't want to tell you where he got it from because I don't want to embarrass the bibby bop on <laughs> Beverly and La Cienega. Like the coin, like around there, like near, around near the Chipotle. And that's, well, yeah, the cat's out of the bag. That's essentially where he got it from. But don't worry, because we are not alone in the studio, because we're recording on Wednesday and APU, as per usual, we got a guest in the house. All right. We got Academy Award winner for best live action short film in 2006 for West Bank Story. He's also directed The Duff and Netflix is when we first met. Welcome to the studio, Ari Sandell. Welcome, baby. How are we doing, brother? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. And we've had a lot of cool guests come in. I forgot, by the way, my more more recent film, which is Goosebumps 2. Goosebumps 2. Not exactly the demo, but just saying. Oh, cool, cool. All right. Where it's now Goosebumps too. Go check that out. It's the most recent one uh, out there. Is it on Netflix yet? Or no. It's probably gonna go to cable first. Cool. I don't know. It was in theaters in October. Love so those it was a Halloween movie. Love those books. You read yeah. a lot of you read a lot of those I prep. read one. Only because not from lack of interest. I just we didn't have time. I yeah. didn't have time to get through as many as there's I There's a lot, there's too much, man. There's seventy. So, R. L. Stein, is that yeah. who did it? Yeah. 
he wouldn't handle. Those were big. When we were growing up, like, that's what really scared me. I remember, like, reading a couple Goosebumps books and then being, like, truly frightened. Yeah. I think there, there was a TV show, too, at one point. There was a TV show in the 90s. And I watched a few episodes of that. And yeah. And they made the first one with Jack Black in 2015. Mm. That's right. And then this was the sequel. It's called Haunted Halloween. It's about Slappy, who's the, the evil ventriloquist dummy. Has Dude, that was powers. a scary one. Right. He's like the main... I remember that TV. Yeah, I remember that he was a an antagonist in one yeah, of the TV episodes. He repeats in a lot of books. Yeah. And he's like one of the main villains in the first movie. So they bring him back. And now he's going to bring Halloween to life. And all the decorations are going to come and you know wreak havoc in the town. And the kids have to save the town. I have aspirations to become like a ventriloquist dummy guy until i read that book and that just essentially ruined it for me that, yeah, that guy was scary that, that was book like, decimated the ventriloquist dummy industry so. yeah, <laughs> sales went down it's except really, it's for jeff dunn he like capitalized <laughs> yeah. yeah he just capitalized like fuck it i'm gonna go against the grain and, yeah. and do my thing but we we actually watched we put on west bank story last night and we've had a lot of amazing guests we've had you know a couple top 10 nfl draft picks we've had other actors you know industry and that was like one of the most I'm maybe frank with you, peanut butter and jealous I've ever been of any guests we've had, and it's not even because the Academy Award. It's because as like a as like a Jew, as a, you know, as a, as a fellow Jew, I was like, damn, I'm so jealous. He came up with that idea because it is so on point. They took the West Side Story right. and then moved it over to the Middle East and it's Palestine and Israel in the middle of two falafel stands, and that's just it. It was so simple and so brilliant. I was like, oh my god, like that's totally the idea. And it was really great. How do you come up with that idea to kind of kick it into first down territory? Listen, when I heard the title, because I had a friend who had mentioned it and I said, oh man, we should write that together. Mm -hmm. But he didn't want to do it in the way I saw it immediately, which was a full on musical like West Side Story and just West Bank Story and it's it's Israelis and Palestinians. His idea was more for a sitcom that was based in L.A. And I was like, well, so we said, I said, you do your thing. You care if I, if I try to develop this in the way I think? He said, yeah, fine. So I got together with a writer friend of mine who was at USC with me. Film school, her name is Kim Ray. And when I tried it on my own originally, it's not that easy to write a comedy about a really tragic situation. So without pissing off everybody. Mm-hmm. And being um, kind of, you know, not just offensive, but just trite. So my first version was about suicide bombers and checkpoints, and it and it sucked. Mm. And Kim and I sat down, and she said, all right, what are you trying to say? And I said, okay, I want to project a, a, a theme that both sides are more alike than they care to admit. And I want to have a theme that's pro-peace and, and hopeful. So she said, okay, well, let's make a list. What are things they have in common? And I started throwing stuff out. Okay, uh, they both say, they're both really hairy. <laughs> they both yell when they talk. Uh, they both like the same food. They both, and I went, wait, wait, wait a minute. Food, that's kind of interesting. And then we, kind of, we started to come up with this concept. What if it's not a li- literal translation of what this is about the actual stuff going on? What if it's more theoretical and it's kind of a more high concept? And I said, what if it's two restaurants? So we never even mention Israel. We never even mentioned Palestine. It's a restaurant that represents Israel called mm-hmm. the Kosher King and a, rep- a restaurant that represents Palestine called the Homicide. Yeah. And we can speak <laughs> from both perspectives through those restaurant experiences, which is already absurdist. And then it gives us a little bit of protection because people won't take it totally seriously yeah. because it's obviously absurdist. But the message will still be there. Pro-peace and have heart and try to convey a little bit of the perspective from both sides. I said, if, if we can be an equal opportunity offender, then that's as long as we're equal. 
So for every joke about Israelis, I had to have a joke about Palestinians. For every heartfelt moment with Palestinians, I had to have a heartfelt moment with Israelis. And it's very difficult to um, you know, keep it even because you start to realize, oh, wait, we have too many for this or too less for that. And then when you shoot, new things happen. So you got to keep it even then. And then when you edit and now you're cutting things away, again, you have to continue with that balance. Because it's like an yeah. ongoing yeah. conflict. It's not something yes. that's like happened in the past and you could now address right. it. Right. And everyone who watches the film takes from it what they bring to it. So, you know, most of the experiences have been extremely positive and, and have been really, really uh, positive cr- critiques. Some people have been, have hated it. And mostly it's because their opinion is, is you can't even talk about it. How can you talk, be comedic about it? And I, t- and there's, and there's validity to that. Yeah. But I also think, you know, no single movie about the subject can cover everything. You'll never succeed. If you try to be everything, you end up being nothing. Mm-hmm. So I picked off one theme, which was pro-peace and the similarities. And I tried to hit that in, in as in as hard a way as I could. That's really interesting that you say that obviously like everyone has their own perspective and the way that I was looking at it and like I'm not Jewish. So I don't have the same vantage point that Josh does. Um, but I love West Side Story. It's one of my favorite musicals of all mm-hmm. time. So I'm like looking at it and being like, oh, that's funny. That's exactly how it is in the movie. And that like that same like trying to find that that balance and like that even point that the movie always is at where it's like the sharks do something good. The Jets do something right. good. The sharks do something or like someone dies on the sharks, someone dies on the Jets. Um, that was really interesting that I was like I wasn't even thinking about it in the way of it's you have to make it fair for both and you have to keep it level for both. I was just thinking like that's how they did it in West Side well, Story, which is like he, that framework is good. I think that here's the level of critique that people would get into the minutia, uh, depending on where I showed it. Um, you know, believe it or not, I actually got some of the best responses in Israel and the West Bank. But I also got a lot of people saying, why did you do this? Why did you do that? And usually those people who are the most, um, let's say, vociferous in their opinions mm-hmm. are not Israeli and they're not Palestinian. They're not Muslim and they're not Jewish either. They're usually people speaking on behalf of those people because they feel def- defend- they have to defend. Yeah, And that's okay. And I took this movie all over the world when I had made it. We went to the Dubai Film Festival. We were the only film that played eight that played um, as four times there. I, my movie was the very first movie to play at the Dubai Film Festival that ever portrayed an Israeli soldier in a positive light. That was a big deal. I had Jewish people in the audience in Dubai who lived there who are execs at various companies or doing whatever, and they would come up to me privately and say, thank you so much for being here. You know, we're not even allowed to really tell people we're Jewish. My daughter goes to school here. She's not really allowed to talk about it. You know, relations even between Dubai and Israel are precarious. So this means a lot to just be able to talk publicly about it. There were Palestinians who stood up and said, I think this movie is hilarious. You have to laugh. We laugh about it sometimes too. That's the only way you can deal with it. So that validation was very nice. Yeah. But some people, the level of critique got to this. Some point, some people would say, "Why did you make the the hummus hut color scheme is all red because they're angry?" And I was like, "Wow, I never even thought about." It. First of all, the location was red, and <laughs> Dude, I didn't have the money yeah. to, to paint it another color. But also, I took the colors of the Palestinian flag, which is green, red, white, and black. The hummus hut was blue and white. The colors of the Israeli flag. Again, these are subtle points to the to the country. But you, if you, you know, you get it. Like you're watching it, and you, it's pretty blatant. Like it's like. You're, you're saying it without saying it, but it's very – it's obvious. Like, that's Israel and that's Palestine. Yeah. You don't know. But you have – you know, look, I'm also very aware for people who are very close to the situation, mm-hmm. they're obviously going to bring a different perspective than, you know, some guy out in L.A. who has his perspective. You know, I made this movie for a very specific reason. I graduated film school at USC. 
I wanted to break into the business. I needed something to show the industry what my what I could do. I thought, wow, West Bank story was a big idea. That's the kind of thing that perks ears. Now what the hell do we do? Then we came up with it's about restaurants. I said, oh god, that, that could be really fun. And then it gives me an opportunity to speak about my you know political uh, uh, approach, which I was you know very pro peace at the time. I'm, I'm a little less so now, but um, I, not that I'm not pro peace. I'm just not as hopeful about it. Put it that way. But um, it's I can tell you, I never in a million years thought it would go as far as it did. I did not think it was going to win an Oscar, let alone get nominated. So. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a gay, it's funny, and you're sitting here laughing, and you kind of, I mean, as someone who I used to work for Birthright, hmm. see, okay, so I've been to Israel a boatload of times, and do your do your listeners know what Birthright is? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Birthright, if you. If you don't, a good point. If you don't know, what a presumptuous Jewish guy you are. I am such a presumptuous <laughs> Jewish guy. Uh, if you don't know what birthright is, it's basically you have your right as a Jewish person, if you're outside of Israel, to go to an Israel to go to Israel on a free trip. You get free meals, free stay. Um, you get to go, and the, my favorite part is you get to go around with Israeli soldiers, which is kind of the point I'm getting at. And they, you hear their perspective on things. So you're like a movie like this, and their perspective, like I know exactly what they would say. You know, it's just you think people are sitting there in the war, like enjoying a fight and like they're fighting, but they're fighting because they have no, no choice. You know, they kind of got to defend. To be fair, there are also people who go on birthright and criticize birthright for not showing the other perspective, that they only show the Israeli perspective. There have been a lot of people who've gone on birthright who have complained that they don't get to go to the West Bank, they don't get to meet Palestinians and talk. And so, as I've heard recently, that birthright actually now makes a little bit more of an effort to try to give a little more, but they still get that critique. Obviously, the purpose of birthright is to bring. Jews from around the world to quote unquote the homeland mm-hmm. to get in touch with their roots. It's paid for by the Israeli government. You know, I think up until you're 27, you're eligible to do it. Mm-hmm. And the, the only re- the only uh, being on the you know the working side of it, the only reason you wouldn't really go to the Palestinian side or you know venture that up, it's just and I hate to say it, just for safety precautions. You'd be the, the biggest thing to having to talk to parents and you know letting people come on my trip is like. Are my kids going to be safe? And I have to sit there and be like, yeah, they're going to be safe. And like, you know, realistically, I can't 100% guarantee anything. Right. You know, but I have to do what I can. And they have to do what they can. We have to work together in the best possible way to keep things peaceful. But, we, you know, it's like I, I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. If that's what people want, I think they should experience that as well. And I think the film, I was, I was very curious to see where you were going, how you were going. Because I knew it was West Side Story. And then I know, I know the conflict. So I was curious to see how you were going to end it. And I thought the ending was I thought the ending was pretty on point. Uh, that's, that was my favorite part was the ending. I mean, the joke the, at the, the end is really great. You mean the Night King comes and then and then Arya jumps out and uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! You haven't we've, watched? No, Game we've of been Thrones we've fan. been in the no, last yeah. like three episodes I on just, this thing spoiling. I just non-stop, dated so. this this podcast by the way. If somebody listens to this two years from now, they're like, oh my god! Yeah, it's not evergreen content well, anymore. Well, I should talk about the Macarena while I'm Cha Cha Slide is timeless. Yeah, it's never off limits. Yeah, the the end. The end joke was very intentional for two reasons. I wanted, I wanted, but the end, well, should I say the end? I don't know. The end joke yeah. is really basically about implying that Jews and Arabs can get along because they do. And they, and they all, also the purpose of ending on a joke was kind of a little bit to pull the rug out to be like, to make it very clear, this movie is not trying to take itself too seriously. Right. So I, I was very, I thought that joke was a good joke. I'm proud of that joke. So mm-hmm. it's very funny. I'll I let people watch it, and then they can 
be surprised by the joke. We, yeah, I mean, I with you without even thinking, oh, we're having this guy on the show. I, was, I hit my couple of my buddies up this morning. I was like, you got to see this people that we went on birthright with because I knew like my my Jewish friends at the very minimum would get a kick out of it. But I have some friends who have thought about even going into the IDF, you know, who would like think this is funny and think it's super creative. And that guy, that was, I didn't even know when he brought you up, I, I knew you had won an Oscar for a short film. I had no idea that it was like of this nature. Right. So it was super exciting to go there. And like going into the Oscars, you had, you had no idea this was going to go there. So you finished making the film. So what's I, your process so- after that? So here's what happened. We started writing this movie in two thousand, the end of two thousand three. Mm-hmm. I made it in two thousand four. It premiered at the Sun- Sundance Film Festival in two thousand and five, January. And a month later, I had an agent, I had a manager. I was off to the races. I was like, "Great, this is cool." I got into a couple other festivals. I think I went to two just to go. But you can't. A lot of times, young filmmakers make the mistake of following their film to every single film festival, and it's fun. And they pay for you, and it's cool, and you get to travel around. But also, if you leave for a year, you're leaving in your in the while the iron's hot. You're, yep. You got to strike while the iron's hot here yep. in town. You got to go out for meetings and take general meetings and try to get agents and you know. And now you're gone, and you're in Lubbock, Texas, at the Lubbock Film Festival. That's not going to help you. So you have to be very specific about where you go and strategic, and only go to some places. So I went to the Aspen Comedy Film Festival, which used to be a huge industry film festival. It was the HBO Comedy Arts Film Festival. Um, and then I went to Florida Film Festival, which everyone told me was amazing. It was not that great. <laughs> I think there was like eight people in the, in the theater. And I'm like, oh, God. And then they said, we're having Italian cinema night tonight at the Olive Garden. And I went, okay. <laughs> Such and, a Florida thing to do. Right. By the way, it's in Orlando, but it's not in Orlando. It's in a little town outside of Orlando called Maitland. So it was, it was a learning lesson. So I said, all right, I'm not going to go anymore. I'm going to stay here and work. There I had one goal. I had two goals. I wanted to go to the Jerusalem Film Festival. And I want to go to the Dubai Film Festival. And in 2005, Dubai Film Festival was only in its second year. No one had even heard of Dubai. When I keep telling, kept telling people about Dubai, Dubai, I'd have to explain what it was. It's not like now everyone knows Dubai is the biggest of the right. Middle East. I had to explain it. And I actually did not get into the Jerusalem Film Festival to my shock. My father's from Israel. Yeah. And, I, and I'm Jewish. And this is a movie that, you know, it was, hadn't won an Oscar yet, but still was getting a lot of fanfare in L.A., they didn't take it because they were. They said that they were worried about you know offending one side or the other, which I was very surprised. I was really truly bummed. Dubai was very forward thinking, and they said we we're going to show it, which was a surprise. Now I couldn't do a press conference in Dubai because they were worried that if I did a press conference before the film showed, it would garner too much um, ire that the sheik would have to pull my movie. So they kind of let it under the radar and then let it speak for itself. And every single screening was like sold out. And the whole theater was all local. So it was, you know, but local is a very international crowd up there. So some Indian, but mostly, you know, Dubai, Emiratis, Saudis, Palestinians. I mean, it was a mix of, of a lot of um, various Arab uh, nationalities. And it played just like it did at Sundance. The jokes got the same laughs. Everybody, you know, they clapped at the end. The questions were a, a lot tougher. And I can tell you by that point, I had already gone through a year's worth of Q&As. Yeah. So there was really nothing that they were going to ask me that I didn't already know exactly how yeah. to respond. And at the end of the festival, I'm sorry, at the end of the screening, the first screening, first, during the Q&A, one woman says, I hate your movie. It doesn't show the suffering of the Palestinian people. It doesn't show the truth of what's going on. And this is a, a waste of my time. I learned nothing. I said, okay, I don't know if that's a question, but I said, thank you. I said, um, you know, I tried to explain why I made the movie, what I was up against. 
what my intention was. It's not an educational piece. It's no. not a documentary. This is not meant to learn anything. This is once you look, read and watch documentaries, then you watch this as a kind of a after dinner dessert to kind of cleanse the palate a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's because if you watch documentaries about one side or the other, you will be left so hopeless. You will feel so shitty about the situation you're going to want to give up. And I felt very hopeful about the situation. I wanted to kind of rejuvenate that idea. At the end of the uh, of the uh, Q&A, sh- that same woman came up to me and she's like, I-, I just want to shake your hand. You are the first Jew I have ever met. And I said, oh, wow, okay. And I, and I, I said, hello. And I shook her hand. And I, my dad was with me. Again, he's from Israel. He's not supposed to be there. So we couldn't tell anyone he was Israeli. I said, this is my dad. He's from Israel. So you can, if you want to punch him, you can. And she laughed. <laughs> And she shook his hand. She's never met an Israeli. And I mean, it meant a lot to me because it was like, geez, I'm in a country where there are very strong opinions. She wasn't Palestinian, by the way. Very strong opinions, but never having met someone from the quote-unquote other side. And I've had the same experience from Jews or Israelis who have never met a Palestinian, but have very strong, you know, unmovable opinions. So that to me is always – the fact that this is able to start a conversation has been nice. So – that's you know. good. How, you're sitting there in the theater. I mean, at least even after the first time, you said you, you went four showings in Dubai. Yeah. Correct. So four showings in Dubai. And even after the first time, there's all these different people flowing in. It's sold out every night. Are you sitting there a little bit nervous about how it's going to play out? No. No, you're, I felt good. Listen, this was at a time when the festival, they don't do this anymore, but they flew me. When I went to Sundance, this filmmaker gets a $200 stipend. Okay, you get 200 bucks yeah. to go to Sundance, which is nothing. No. Okay. The rest, you're on your own. For the Dubai Film Festival, they flew me and three of the actors. For a short film, never. That never happens. Three of my actors out for free, first class on Emirates Air, which is like the greatest awesome airplane. airplane. Awesome. You don't want to get off the plane. Dude, I've always wanted to go on that airplane. They put wow. you in a first class hotel. Everyone had their own suites. All of us. <laughs> Eight days, meals, alcohol, driver. Uh, you get in the, into the car, there'd be like champagne. I mean, they just don't, they don't care. They're like, whatever, don't worry about it. They don't do that anymore. I heard that they only pay for two days now because they've kind of figured it out. They don't, but this was when they were still trying to drum up interest. But no, they treated us well. Everyone was cool. I had people coming to me in the mall out there going, you are the guy who did it. And I would have a backpack full of DVDs. So I'll just hand them out. <laughs> You know, the CD you know, always, guy always hustling. Yeah, I'm always, always hustling. hustling. Give five dollars, sign it. There yeah, you go. So you know, the, when when the film finished at Dubai, I said, okay, I feel like I I did it all. I, I don't have to do anything. I can I can move on. But at the end of the year, was the time to submit the film for Oscar consideration. And I wanted to just say, I hey, I went full circle. I did everything. And I told my agent, um, I'm submitting for the Academy Awards. And he's like, dude, listen, your film's great. Love it. Everybody loves it. Okay. It's not going to win an Oscar. Okay. I'm like, I know, I know. He's like, it, hell will freeze over before that film wins an Oscar because you got to be about something serious or dramatic or whatever. And I say, here's the comedy about restaurants. I said, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, you're totally right. I just want to know I did everything. Mm-hmm. So I submitted it in like December and they called me and they said, oh, you actually missed, missed the deadline. I said, but, but it's December. They said, well, it was a, a couple, it was a week ago and I, and, and you, you can roll it over the next year. I said, oh, all right, so I can just submit. Yes, that's, that's fine because you're, you're technically still qualified, but take it, do it next year. So in the next year, February, I turned it in. And then for the entire year of 2006, I didn't think about it again. I just thought, all right, and when you turn it in, you got to submit a 35-millimeter reel like a, in a metal case, uh, uh, a beta tape, a DVD, a write. I mean, you got to send all this stuff in. Yeah. I'm sitting on my computer in – Probably, I think November or 
no, December of 2006. Keep in mind, this movie came out in January of 05. It has now been almost two years. And I'm sitting at my computer at home, and I get a phone call, and it says, Hi, is um, Ari Sandel there? I say, yeah. Hi, this is so-and-so from the Academy. And I said, oh, are you looking to send my material back and need my address? They're like, no, 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 I just want to let you know that you're shortlisted. And I said, I'm sorry, shortlisted for, what does that mean? She's like, well, you're in the final 10 for the shorts film uh, uh, section? <laughs> and I said, uh, what, what do you mean? Like, so if I get nominated, I'll be in part of the telecast? She's like, uh-huh, yeah. She's like, you'll find out in six weeks. And I said, okay, just to be clear, though. <laughs> When you're talking about the tele, like if they call my name for the award, I go up on the stage. It's not going to be like the week before or during the commercials. Like, no, no, you're going to be going up on the stage during it if you win. And I went, okay, thank you. Click, hung up. And I said, holy shit. I'm like, I don't want to, do I tell people? I don't want to jinx myself. Yeah. But then at the same time, if I don't tell people that I'm almost nominated and then I don't get nominated, they'll never believe I was almost nominated. Yeah. Yeah. And I might as well live in the moment and just like soak in the, hey, I'm almost nominated. <laughs> so for the next three days, I literally called like every person I've ever met. <laughs> Casually. And I would call, hey, man, I haven't talked to you in three years. Cool. Oh, yeah. oh me, nothing. Just, you know, almost nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. Here's how it works. It's kind of a long process. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, haven't seen you since high school. Yeah, yeah, great. Now put your sister yeah. on the phone. Wait, what? She's like five years younger. I just want to tell her too, though. You just want to pass around it, everybody. It was cr- – the, the funniest thing was um, – I, I about six weeks later, the phone they announced the nominations at six a.m. Yeah, and at six oh one, your phone is ringing off the hook and it doesn't stop for six weeks. I mean, it was crazy. My agent called, my manager, lawyers, friends, family. It's nonstop. That's what. And I was driving with my my girlfriend at the time, and we were at a stoplight near the Grove here in L.A. And right next to me pulls up one of my USC professors, who was like a really noted sound sound guy and his name is um, David Bondalevich and I saw him and, I, and he barely remembered I, I was in a big course with him with like 200 students there's no way he's going to remember me and I said Professor Bondalevich and he's like oh yeah I'm like I was one of your students he's like oh and we're talking through car windows here at a stoplight <laughs> and he's like oh hi yeah how are you how are you doing what's going on how, how did you graduate I said yeah he's like what's going on now and I'm like I'm nominated for an Oscar and the light turns green I go that's awesome. And it's, I'm sure it seems so totally douchey, but I, you know, I like green. I had to go. But it was just, I'm sure the guy was like, what did he say? So. <laughs> yeah, my God, it's so funny. And so you get nominated and then the whole, everything leading up, people are calling you. Um, are you able to even work on anything else? Or is that no, I wasn't. But there's no there's cares. No At that point, anything. you're like, whatever I'm working on now doesn't matter because if I win an Oscar, but oh, hopefully everything will change. So and who knows? So you see who you're nominated against. You see the other film. You see the other films beforehand, I assume, who you're nominated um, up against. I went with someone to a screening of The Five. So that's when I saw them. Okay. So, you know, he, I always get a lot of questions from people who are nominated. Like, hey, how can I help influence, you know, my decision, the decision, not in a way that's cheating, but like, how can I help promote my film? And I, I always just say like, look, there really is nothing you can do with a short film. Because unless you're going to take out ads and billboards for you know that's a your for your consideration, people have to watch the movie. It used to be that you have to go to the screening. There were only three Academy screenings. You had to actually attend and watch all five before you could vote. Now they send DVDs home, so all of the Academy, all six thousand members, can vote. You know you can get a publicist. So I just said, look, I don't want to leave anything on the field. I want to know. I went back in the locker room and did everything I could have. So I got for your consideration ad in Variety, which was absurd. 
because it's like two guys in falafel hats yelling at each other. It's the most big story for your consideration. That's awesome. Kind of, which I just thought was funny. And then I got a publicist, which was really helpful, but there's no way, there's no metric to know if it helped. Yeah. In the end, people just have to go and see the movie and hope you hope that they vote for you. But I was on TV. I was on Al Jazeera. I was on uh, Glenn Beck. I was on Headline News. I was in the LA Times. I mean, it was like, for six weeks, it was just crazy. Crazy. And my father, who is, again, Israeli, super supportive, mm -hmm. he decided, at first, I really thought I was going to, I was looking like I was going to win. Because a lot of the magazines that were coming out with predictions were saying I was going to be the winner. But then around halfway through, it started to change. And everyone's saying that my biggest competitor, which was a movie about a little girl who wanted to go to school in Africa, which at the time was really being talked about because Oprah had just opened her school in Africa, mm -hmm. that they were saying that was going to win. And I was like, oh, shit. I feel like the tide's turning. My dad, being the very supportive believer that he is, decided he wanted to place an online bet on a, on a casino on, on Australia for, for me to win, that he thought I was going to win. He went on, online, and they actually gave me the worst odds. And I went, oh, shit. I'm like I'm gonna lose this thing, man. This is this sucks. And you want at that point you yeah. want you want to win. Like oh yeah, but at that yeah. point I'm like I'm not gonna tell anyone anymore. It's just awesome to be nominated. I'm like I came to win. That's yeah. when I started getting the publicist and the thing and the thing. And I'm like I'm gonna do everything I can. I don't want to have any regrets. Oh, you don't get nominated every day for that kind yeah, of shit. Yeah, I said I'm gonna go around and <laughs> ring a bell as loud as yeah. I possibly can. Again, you never know if whatever you did actually made a difference because yeah. it only matters who showed up to watch the movie. And whether they heard about you or not, it doesn't matter. <laughs> That's so funny that he went to an Australian casino. Yeah. Well, because right. there was no online casino. That was the only way to do it. Right, right. Place the bets there. Did he, did he place the bet? No. God damn it. Shut up, Because he's like, well, it, it was not a good bet. They're telling me <laughs> that. Such uh, an Israeli thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, damn. You guys are terrible. You hey, should have put the freaking mortgage down. Like yeah. That. Oh, that's hilarious, though. I mean, we watched your, uh, your speech and, you know, they give different amounts of time for the different categories, right? Right. Um, no, technically. Not, no? Okay, so here's how that works. Yeah. So, Your speech was great, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank it's you. really good. And you're like, you're talking so fast because you had to. I you think. had to. Also, yeah. I was nervous as shit. Yeah. I mean, uh, okay, so let me tell you about that. Okay, so here's how it works. Um, in that six weeks, you get advice from every single person you've ever known <laughs> what to do in your Oscar speech. And at first, you're like, oh, it'll be fine. And then as more people give you advice, you start going, oh, my God, dude. This is going to be scary. And then my agent calls me and she was like, you got to be funny. You got to kill him with comedy. And I'm like, no one knows who I am. <laughs> if I go up there and start trying to be funny, I'm going to look like an asshole. You know, it's not yeah. like, oh, it's it's Jack Palance doing a one-arm push-up, which was adorable. <laughs> or it's Cuba Gooding Jr. jumping up and down. We know him. We love him. When he does something, it's fun. If it's yeah. just some random dude, you're like, this guy's an asshole. <laughs> so now I'm stressing out. Then they send you a DVD eight-minute DVD at the time was hosted by Tom Hanks on the do's and don'ts of how to give your speech. So in it is a montage of all the greatest Oscar moments ever. So now, if you hadn't thought about it before, now you're nervous. Then it's followed by a montage of all the worst Oscar moments. So Ooh. people who couldn't get their speech out, people who stuttered. Oof. One year there was a microphone that they actually lowered into the ground to, to cut people off. So you get people talking, and they're like, and I just want to think... So as it's going down into the into the ground, and I, so now I'm actually having a heart attack. Yeah, because I'm like I don't want, I don't even want, I hope I don't win now because I don't want to give a speech in front of the world and fail. <laughs> and my aide is like, it's your speech is actually more important than winning because that's what's going to influence people. And I went, oh god, 
<laughs> so good job on making a great film on yeah, a fantastic yeah, film. Yeah, nobody cares. What do you have to say? <laughs> Shit, what you How's made? your elevator pitch? Yeah. So you got hundred percent. hundred percent. So I, I got there and when you when you walk in, uh if you watch my speech online, uh it's on it's on uh, YouTube. Actually, the Oscars called me after the speech and they said, "Hey, we really liked your speech. Can we interview you on how to give an Oscar speech?" That's like, what we yeah. that's what we watched. Right. Yeah. I was like, "Yeah, of course you can. Sure. That's great." So, and I talk a little bit about this, but I had my agent giving me advice. I had my mom giving me advice. My dad is like, "Hey, you know, maybe you can think of some me too." And I'm like, oh, yeah, "Okay, okay." I got, <laughs> you know, you have a list of names of people you want to thank, but then they tell you don't read a list of names. Nobody wants to see your top of your head. Be heartfelt. Be funny. Be interesting. I'm like, holy shit. Then the president of the shorts branch came to me and said, listen, I'm saying this to all of the nominees. Whoever wins, you know, every year they're always trying to bump us to the commercials or bump us to the week before or something. And short films are really the one of the earliest forms in film. It's important that we keep the shorts film branch in the telecast if you can maybe just say something about you know the plight of the short filmmaker and the independent filmmaker and i was like holy shit i gotta thank everybody i gotta thank my parents i gotta to play to the short filmmaker and then the night before or the day before i was sitting in a subway in beverly hills and i was eating a sandwich and the phone rings and it's the general consul the israeli general consul who is in you know over on uh, wilshire yeah. near fairfax and he calls me and i had met him before because they were very proud of the movie Mm-hmm. And he actually gave me as a joke a fake Oscar. So he's like, hey, this is from Israel. If you don't win, we'll give you – this is our Oscar. And it was like one of those classic ones from Hollywood and Vine. That's great. So he called me. He's like, look, uh, maybe you can say something about peace in the Middle East and uh, uh, something about uh, we, we all want peace still because it's important to us. I said, oh, okay, thank you. And I'm like, holy shit, bro. <laughs> so it was just – and I'm sitting alone in a subway eating a sandwich just sweating. Yeah. <laughs> Pressure is mounted. So when you get in there – and I look around, it's 4,000 of the biggest killers in Hollywood. And it's like this gigantic ceiling and glitz and glam. And here comes Ellen DeGeneres and she's doing her 20-minute or her 10-minute spiel at the beginning. I don't remember any of it. Nothing. I brought my mother. She sat next to me. She's like, this is fun. And I'm like, ah. I was like in the spirit world. And then it comes in my category and they show all the stuff. Yeah. And I, and then they, and I heard my name. And I, and I mean this with total sincerity. I remember nothing. I remember walking up to the stage and I remember afterwards walking off the stage. But on stage, it, I would compare it to a car crash. Like nothing. Just just blank memory, out-of-body experience. I have maybe two flashes in my brain of memory. It's not a running movie in my head. I don't yeah. remember what I don't remember what I said. I don't remember I when I walked off stage, there was a, a, a girl on the side of the stage with a little headset and a clipboard, and I remember going, Did I say fuck? Did I say fuck? She's like, no, I don't got it. Because that's the, uh, for sure, I just want to thank my fucking mom. Uh, you know, by accident, is going to come out of my mouth. So it, it was. And little Abigail Breslin is sitting there. And, and Jaden Smith. Jaden Smith. Like, Smith was like seven years old. They're both so young. Yeah. 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 They're tiny. Yeah, they, that's like, those are cool presenters. Honestly. They were great. Yeah, that's hilarious. They were, I sent them both DVDs uh, afterwards. I signed it. Just said, thanks for giving me an Oscar. Oh, that's awesome. I think it's pretty funny. If you go watch the the clip, the first person in the crowd that they show is like a close-up of Jack Nicholson. Right. Just like listening to you right. talk. Uh, I was like, ooh, whoa. <laughs> yeah. And then I think also – uh, He was bald. I don't know. It was, he was she... bald for a role. Yeah. I, I, I don't, don't remember I think what. it was um, – uh, I want to. I know the name of the movie, but I can't think of it right now. This is right – this is right before The Departed came out. 
or he was the jury shot. It no, was, that was in that was in 05. It was um I don't remember the yeah. movie. Yeah. Interesting. So it was actually Departed was in the same Scorsese won that night the same night I won. That's awesome. I know this because I tried to get a picture with him, but his, his, his agent was he's like, busy right now. He's talking to people. Come back later. I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> Did you get any cool pictures? Anybody? Oh yeah, I got pictures with Spielberg and Clint Eastwood and uh, Peter O'Toole and oh, Peter O'Toole. Really? Uh, That's awesome. Damn the OG Dumbledore. Let's go, man. So can't really beat that. The, one more thing, if you want to know about oh, just please, the Oscars, yeah. Parents. Um, the weeks leading up, I was trying to get a free tuxedo because you know I'll try, I try to pull whatever. For whatever free thing I'll get, I, I can get it. I, I'll take it. And my publicist was um, working an angle. She's trying to get me a, a, an interview in the LA Times, which would have been really good. If the interview came out, that could help influence, hopefully, mm-hmm. pe- more people who know about your movie are likely to go to the screening. Yep. <clears throat> but the, they kept pushing the, the interview back and back and back and to the point where it was getting almost like, it, it, by the time it would come out, it might not make a difference. And at the same time, she used the LA Times interview to get leverage with Hugo Boss. Said, "Well, he's going to be in the LA Times. He, you know, he's he, he wants to wear a Hugo Boss tuxedo." So they said, "All right, why don't you do the photo shoot for LA Times at Hugo Boss as he's trying on his his tuxedo?" So I got a free tuxedo while they took pictures. You go to a luncheon. It's called the Oscar luncheon. This is uh, maybe two weeks before, three weeks before, and everyone who's nominated goes there. Everyone, and it's mm-hmm. very egalitarian. There's no set place where you sit. Um, where, where one table is more important. It's, there's a set place that they give you your table seven at number eight, but you could be sitting with Steven Spielberg right next door, right, right next to you. Or you could be with Will Smith, or you could be with the biggest person in makeup or the biggest person in cinematography. So it's an amazing experience. And they give a couple suggestive speeches about what to do, blah, blah, blah. You take a class photo, and everyone is up there, and everyone's congratulatory. I mean, everyone, you've never been in a room full of more happy people because everyone is just super psyched. Yeah. And I took a picture with Spielberg and a picture with Clint Eastwood and a couple other pictures. And my interview with the LA Times happened to be down the street right afterwards. So I walked out of this luncheon and went to the to the Beverly Hotel so excited. And I'm like, oh my God. And I took, met, met this guy. I'm like, look at these photos I just took. Here's Spielberg and here's Clint Eastwood and here's what. And we talked for like an hour. And all right, great. I have enough information. I'll write up an article. Great. Next Sunday, it doesn't come out. I'm like, damn. Next Sunday, it doesn't come out. And I'm like, well, they just closed the voting. So now it doesn't, it doesn't even matter. Yeah. So I guess it's not going to – I guess it wasn't a very good interview. The morning of the Oscars, Sunday morning, the cover of the calendar section, headline says Spielberg, Eastwood, and now Sandell. And my agent called me and he's like, what? did you say to this guy? And I'm like, no, you don't understand because I was just showing him photos. But no one who reads this knows the context that that's why he's putting those names with me. But when you put those names and my name, that's like, that's crazy town in, in Hollywood. I mean, that means like, oh my God. And at the time, I didn't realize. My age is like, this is unbelievable. This is <laughs> this is huge for branding you. And at the time, I'm like, yeah, yeah, Brandon, listen. I, I, I didn't understand at the time. I was too young to appreciate how crazy that is to have your name with those names again it Wild. was simply because i showed these guys some, this guy some photos but it came out that morning just plugging some good pics here so yeah. <laughs> it was crazy that, that is did you i would have you that hanging up framed up okay i got i'm a meticulous scrap keeper <laughs> so i've kept everything i've kept everything that is awesome and then after the oscars is over is it like free-for-all parties or you have to get invited somewhere well, you go you, you i give a speech mm-hmm. and then you then you go backstage, and then they like open this curtain, and it's. Con- I I said this recently. 
opening that curtain is to like it's almost like you got this secret key to this new world now because this I remember this curtain opening and there is a, a bar back there and at the bar was Will Ferrell, John C. Riley, and Jack Black just hanging out because they just did a, a they bit. Just did yeah, yes, oh, they did a bit God, right before. That's like one of my favorite things. So yeah. the three of them were there and I remember looking at them from a distance going, oh my God, I'm holding my Oscar. I'm like, someday I want to work with those guys. Yeah. And you go backstage and first you walk through a room of like probably 150 photographers and they're like in bleachers and you're up against one of those step, step and repeat backdrops mm-hmm. and you take your thing and they're like click 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 Ari Ari over here over here over here and you look this way and that way and then the clicking kind of dies down if you do a new pose again click 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 and then a new one click click so I quickly <laughs> learned I was doing different stuff all the time click click and the guy's like all right all right so then you go to the next room and it's all um, press asking you questions and it's international and, and and national press and it's on video so that goes for another maybe twenty minutes by the time you get out of there and you walk back through the hall and down the the, the gang play, the gangway into the, the theater. The door was closed because now they're shooting. So you have to wait for commercial before you can walk back in. And it just so happened that everyone I was nominated with got up at that time to go to the bathroom and now they were back. So here we are all standing in the hallway waiting to go back into the into the the, uh, the uh, theater. And it was super just quiet. It was a little bit uncomfortable, but they were really nice. And they said, hey, can we, can we look at it? I said, oh, absolutely. Here you go. Because we had all gotten to know each other. Yeah. So, you know, it's... My success is also, you know, is also their disappointment. Could not have been nicer. By the time I sat back down, my mom's, by the way, I left her for 25 minutes. She's like, oh my God, she's holding it in the, I can't believe this. She was crying. Yeah. I look at my phone. I In the 20 minutes I was gone, I had 215 text messages. Voicemail, full. When I got home that night, I had 1,000 emails. 1,000 emails. By the end of the week, I had four thousand emails people i haven't heard from in 20 years my fifth grade school teacher i don't know if you remember me but uh people i've never met in my life wanted advice people who wanted to date me people who wanted to sell me stuff people who wanted to know so you know i mean it was like crazy and so it took i took probably two or three weeks to to write every single person back because at the time i was like i'd have to answer every (laughs) everybody you know some guy from kentucky wants to know advice on how to get into into the industry i'm like okay here's what you do yeah i would never do that now like listen buddy look it up you know yeah but it was crazy oh man that is mayhem that's that that's mayhem yeah i mean the the speech is phenomenal i mean you do do a nice close-up of your mom yeah. Too, which is great. Honestly, I think that's the most important part is mom and dad. It's like you winning is great, but mom and dad is like it's anything huge. you can do to make <clears throat> where you make your parents proud is is really you know look very Jewish answer. My yeah. no, but here, yeah. here 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 if you really want to know the impetus of my movie, I went to the Sundance Film Festival for two years before I made my movie, and I was standing in line for a film. Mm. And in Sundance Film Festival, everyone's always standing in line for a long time, and you meet people that way. It's one of the kind of cool networky things about Sundance. And I was standing behind me were two older couples, and they were wearing a hat for the movie we're about to see, and t-shirts, and they were all super excited, and it turns out they're the parents of the filmmakers. And they were so proud. And I looked at that, and I said to myself, because I was getting ready to graduate film school, and I honestly wasn't even sure if I wanted to do film anymore and I said if I don't ever make any movie I just want to make my short and get it in the film festival and bring my parents and see my parents that proud that that will be my immediate goal truthfully that was what I wanted to do when I got to Sundance when I got into Sundance and I brought my family it was it was like if it had only gone there it would have been enough 
So the fact yeah. that it kept going and going and going, my dad was like, you know, over the, I mean, my dad's like, he leaves me messages like, hey, Steven Spielberg, how are you today? <laughs> oh my God, okay. Right. That's, that's hilarious. Um, awesome. So, Toss, I think you want to kick it down to second down territory. Yeah. The um, question you had for us. Did I just talk your ear off? Sorry, Dude, no, that was, <laughs> that was awesome. I love that. No, so my, I mean, my question, I mean, almost everything that you've directed is a comedy. Yeah. Almost, if not all. Everything. Yeah. Or comedy related. Even the, I did a documentary with Vince Vaughn. Right. And that was a documentary about comedians. So hmm. Josh and I watched um, Beautiful Boy the other day. I don't know if you've seen that movie. I have not movie. seen it. Tackles. It's uh, Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet. Uh-huh. Tackles uh-huh. addiction. Um, but you like to tell stories that are about these controversial things. It's a it's a dramatic movie. That's why I bring it up. Sure. Very dramatic. Super intense. Tear jerker. Um, but you, you choose to tackle the controversial moments with comedy rather than drama. Um, you know, so obviously we're talking about like the conflict in the Middle East between the Israelis and the Palestine, the Palestinians with West Bank story. And then something like the Duff, you know, you're kind of tackling like labels, people getting labeled in their communities, whether mm-hmm. that be in school, which is what it is in the movie or in the workplace, which also happens. Um, so I guess like for me, it's like, why, why comedy instead of drama? Is that just who you are? It's just who I am. I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, I was voted class clown in high school. I was voted class clown in junior high. In elementary school, I got kicked out of every class for talking. And, you know, for, I would like to think it was for being too awesome, but the teachers would say it was because I was a pain in the ass. I, I've always just resorted to, um, you know, how do you make the joke? It's been the most natural thing to me. So that's where my head goes. Uh, like, you don't want me to do a horror film, okay? Because I'll, it will end up being funny by accident. You know, it'll be the scary guy will come out and be like, Ooh, you know, so <laughs> Can't I, help it. Yeah. even, you know, goosebumps, I actually really enjoyed doing goosebumps in the, in the sense that it allowed me to, to do other things and that it was, you know, there was a little bit more suspense and thriller, but even that was for young kids. So it wasn't scary per right. se. It was right. a little bit more um, tension, which is a different skill set, I think, in telling stories. Here's the difference between um, horror and comedy because there are similarities. It's about timing pace but for comedy typically timing and pace is quick and for horror as far as how you cut and shoot and do things for horror timing and pace is about extending and slowing things yeah down. yeah the longer you linger on something the scarier it actually will be the slower you make the cut to the next thing the scarier and more intense it can be whereas for comedy boom 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 right so i also think there's a lot of similarities between comedy and and doing a musical because again, it's about pace and rhythm, you know. So there are crossover things, but there's also areas where I'm most comfortable. I, I would love to do a drama, actually. I probably would do more of a dramedy mm-hmm. than a straight drama, but it would depend on the subject matter. Yeah. Truthfully. I mean, if you want to know my favorite kind of movies are historical epics, I probably won't ever do one. But, you know, those are the movies I go see first. I, that's really interesting. I mean, we as actors, you know, try and. We try and tackle both things. We try and, I mean, we, Josh and I both like being funny. We both like making the joke just like you do. So it's like, you know, adding the CK at the end or on whatever it is. That's like one of the rules of comedy for people that don't know. It's like things that end in a CK or a word with a CK are funnier for whatever reason. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Apparently. apparently. What's an example of something that ends in a CK? I don't know. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah, that's like that's like one thing. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm with. Hold you. on, is this a thing? I've literally never. Yeah, heard you've this. never heard that. Yeah, I heard that the other day. I. This I sounds like something that somebody who's not funny would come up with. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I know. And like, someone you know, in said Dead it. Poet Society when he's teaching poetry, and then they go through the book, and then it cut, 
turns to pie charts about what is poetry, and he's like, rip that shit out. It's about from yeah, the yeah, heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just cheating. Yeah, rips that out. Yeah. I no, mean, someone it, said it to me when I was in film school, and then it was brought up last night, actually, in our acting class, and I had forgotten about it. And now, like, I've watched, like, three things today, and I've been paying attention. They've all been comedies, and I've, like, noticed that it's actually a thing, whether it's intentional or not. Here's what I would say. Take that with a grain of salt. Yeah, because yeah. Because, you know, if you're funny, you know funny. Right. If you try to start jamming a CK word on everything, like, it's technically it's funny because the rules say so. <laughs> what the heck? It's not. Yeah. I've never heard that. I honestly wish you never told me that now because now I'm going to be thinking about You're it. You're going to think time. about it? You ruined his career. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Everything was going fine until I went to this podcast. Fuck. They screwed up. That was fuck. funny, though. Drop the fuck at the end. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, boom. You <laughs> can get a shit. Yeah. Uh, that wasn't as funny. God, you might be right. I don't know. You're on to something here. But yeah, it's. It's interesting. And then how did you kind of fall into the duff and fall into when we first met? How did those come about? I, I did something for the producers. Uh, who, Mick G, who's a big producer and director and his um, producing partner, Mary Viola. I did a action comedy, high school comedy thing for them for Warner Brothers Digital. And we had a great working experience. It was called Aim High. And they said, hey, we want you to do this movie called The Duff, the designated ugly fat friend. And I went, oh, God. And I read the script, and, and I just did, honestly, I didn't want to do another high school thing, and I, and I didn't want to do the movie. Mm-hmm. Now, what I've learned about my process personally over the last 10 years is I never want to do the thing I'm doing. My first go-to thing is I can't do it. I don't want to do it. It's going to suck. It's going to be the worst. I'm going to ruin it. It doesn't have a chance to be good. And I've learned that that's not my gut. You know, people say trust your gut. You should trust your gut, but you also have to be aware that your gut and the little shoulder, the little voice on your shoulder who tells you you can't do it is not your gut. That's something else. So you have to learn to ignore that voice on your shoulder, which is just defeatism, and find what's truly in your gut. So I used to always think that if I was saying something was going to be bad, I got to trust my gut. If I really think it's going to be bad, it probably is. But no, it's just my process is to hate on everything I do. And so I didn't want to do the movie first. My manager's like, you're going in for this movie you're gonna come up with some ideas and figure it out and i and i actually needed that to get pushed off the ledge like that and when i sat down and i came up with ideas i started thinking thematically okay wait a minute i, can, I understand this this is a movie about being yourself and and you know believing in yourself and self-confidence and not listening to labels and only you can define yourself and only you can define what is cool and i could speak to high school kids through my voice and my experiences then i kind of had a, an understanding then I really liked it. So, you know, I still watch the movie and I, I feel like there are some scenes in that movie that are real gems. And then there are some scenes and I go, oh, God, I wish I did this or I did that. And that's natural for any director. I also know that, you know, don't certain things you just don't have the time. It's natural for any actor, too. I mean, of course. You'll sit there and be like, oh, dude, what the hell was I? Yeah. That's nonsense. Wish I had done this. Wish, wish I hadn't I done that. Just, that's yeah. bullshit. You know, you'll say, right. I've said that like, they went, dude, come on. Like, who are you fucking fooling? I sat there and like said that out loud. It's like, what? I'm like, never mind. <laughs> Keep playing it. But yeah, <laughs> but there's also stuff that's like, oh, he's great. And then you come back to me. Oh, I'm glad I did that. So it's, that's an interesting process to kind of talk that guy down. I've never I, that I've never heard before because, like, you know, trust your gut. Sometimes you do need that Spartan kick down yeah, the rabbit hole. And I, I, again, I, the the point is, just because there's a voice in your head, that doesn't mean it's your gut. Mm. You know what I mean? Yes, always trust your gut, but but know that in a creative situation, the first voice, usually the most powerful voice in your head, is the one saying you can't do it. This is this sucks. This will never work, and you have to learn to manage that. And it will never go away ever. It will always be there because every time you get to a bigger project, it comes back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, there's something. Something always needs to play it safe. 
Yeah. You know, there's no need for that. I mean, you look at anything. I mean, I looked at anything I've done, like even picking colleges. It's like play it safe. You know, do there, go there. When you first find your first manager and representation right. there, play it safe. Play it, go to the guy that's like, oh, you're the next this. Not versus the guy that's like, all right, let me see you actually do something else right. before I even make that. You go to that guy and play it safe. And then now hindsight 2020, it's like that's your head saying it versus your gut saying For sure. It. I yeah. always tell when I talk at film schools, I always say, you know, do the thing that scares the shit out of you. You, you should really – look, the, the philosophy is do something every week that scares the shit out of you. Now, whether you can have that much time to do that or not, but the point is, is you, there's an importance to push yourself out of your comfort zone, right? Your comfort zone, your sense of your comfort zone is going to be the single most detrimental thing in your life. It is always going to fuck you up. Your need to feel comfortable. It's going to stop you from going and talking to that girl or that guy you might like. It's going to stop you from talking to that person, that really important person in the elevator that, oh my God, you'd love to tell them this, that, or other, or pitch them your idea. It's a need to play it safe is going to fuck you up. And nothing ever that happened in your life that's awesome, that's an awesome story, ever started with, I was going to do this thing, but I just decided to play it safe. <laughs> Never. So no. you have to take, you have to push yourself and do the thing that scares you simply because it scares you. Now, I can say that with ease, but I also fall victim to it as well. So it's always a constant battle. Yeah. I mean, I think there's something like as simple and as like primal as like someone who's afraid of heights. When they jump out of a plane, right. then they're like, oh, that was the most amazing moment of my life. Of course. Yeah. And yeah. now you've got an amazing story. Now you've pushed yourself and you've expanded your horizons. And right. you realize, well, I'm, not as, I'm not the guy I thought I was. I'm this guy now. And yeah. So, you know, That's if, how you grow. Yes. And if you stop doing that. Then you shrink. So, you know. Whoa. That's good advice. That's really good advice. And then you fell into, did you pivot from Duff right into? So I had a great working relationship on the Duff. And then I did another movie with Marion McGee called When We First Met, which mm -hmm. was on Netflix with um, Adam Devine and uh, Alexander Daddario and uh, Andrew Batchelor. I don't know if you know King Batch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course, man. And uh, Shelley Hennig. And Robbie. And Amel Robbie was in Amel, that one as well. who was also in... In the, in the and you brought him with you. I did. Nice. And he and he's just a great guy. And he's love great that. You love to see that. He's got good yeah. good timing, and you know he's great to work with. Um, and we shot that one in uh, New Orleans, and then it didn't come out for about a year and a half because Netflix had so much stuff that they were starting to space it out so they could you know properly release it. They said we want this to be on Valentine's Day, but not Valentine's Day in a month. It's Valentine's Day next year. And I was like, oh shit, all right. So then I didn't work for like almost a year. And, uh, and then I got goosebumps kind of, I mean, by, by the seat of my pants, I, I flew home from shooting a TV episode of, of a TV show in Canada. And I'm like, well, I have nothing on my schedule for the rest of my life. Uh, I guess I'll just hang out for Christmas and Thanksgiving and see what happens in New Year's and next year's a new year. And then like the next day, they're like, they want me to meet on goosebumps. And I went in and like a week later I was hired. I'm like, holy shit, I'm going to Atlanta next month. How long do, how long was that shoot? It was unusually fast because we had a hard date the movie had to be out october 12th halloween so you're talking about we're january that's 10 months so mm -hmm. from inception of the script we did a massive rewrite of the script to screen 10 months never happens it was like six and a half weeks of prep uh two three months to shoot four or five months to, to edit i mean it was like everything that's was quick yeah but it's moving fast yeah so for 10 months you know i did nothing but eat sleep goosebumps yeah that's great that's that's really awesome and then by the time that's over when we first met, it's coming out. We're close no, to No, actually, by the time, while I was shooting uh, Goosebumps, when we first met, came out in February of 2018. So I actually went back for a day for the, for the premiere during prep and then came back. And then 
six months later, my other movie came out. So I had two movies out in one year, which is cool. That's great. It is yeah, cool. It's really yeah. awesome. Yeah. And I think I'll kick it the third down. What are you working on now? What's next up for you? Um, uh, right now, I'm kind of working. I'm between two things. I'm reading scripts, trying to find an, another movie, mm-hmm. which I'm being very uh, particular right now. Maybe mm-hmm. too particular, and maybe in a month or two, I'll be less particular because I'll be like, should I got to work? But right now, I'm just trying to be as particular as possible. I really want to try to get something that can showcase my abilities. I want to get something you know bigger and, and uh, something with a big concept. I would love to do a movie like Jumanji or even The Hangover or Night at the Museum or you know Guardians of the Galaxy. I know everybody says that. Well, not everybody, but most directors would love to do that. But I just feel like building worlds is really my strong point. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I like to do it and I, I'm good at it. That was one of the most fun things about Goosebumps is we got to design monsters yeah. and a little bit of the lore and the logic behind it. That's why I'm a Game of Thrones nerd because I get into all the you know backstory. Granted, I've oh. never read the books because I'm a lazy nerd. But <laughs> Best kind, baby. <laughs> so between reading scripts, I'm also working on a couple projects a little bit on my own trying to come up with a few things. And I'd love to do a Netflix series. You know, just the, the whole thing on tv is so different than film now because unless you're a massive event movie being it's an event movie like avengers Mm. or it's a cultural event movie like crazy rich asians where everyone wants to go see it because it hasn't been done in 20 years it's all just watched that last night it was really awesome it's a good movie and or get out which is another cultural event Mm -hmm. movie unless you're one of those two people are not going to the movie theaters to see kind of movies they used to see five years ago, 10 years ago, you know, they're just not. Hmm. So those movies are now going straight to Netflix or what's doing better is something with a series. You can actually get into the characters and get more elaborate stories. And so I, I would love to do something like that. Thing. I mean, I think Night of the Museum, honestly, is, that's a, an interesting thing to bring that up because Night of the Museum is fantastic. When you really think about it, what they did with it, I mean, Jumanji's cool, but it's been done. But I thought, Yeah, but I think, here's the thing about Jumanji, man. Everyone goes, well, of course, Jumanji. Of course it worked. No, dude. You're talking about a movie that came out 15, maybe 20 years ago. The sequel, Zathura, didn't do very well. There's no guarantee that a reboot of Jumanji is going to work. Plus, who the hell plays board games anymore? That's really hard. Yeah. So it was a brilliant concept to, to redesign it and say, oh, it's a video game. That's smart. Yeah. But then they turned it on its head and they made it a body switching movie on top of that, which gives you so many yeah. avenues for comedy. And it's fucking great. Also, the original Jumanji, although Robin Williams is in it, is not that funny. It's no. An, it's, no, no. It's at not. its core, it's, a, it's it, a drama. It was not meant to be, yes. It's supposed to be like an adventure drama yeah. kind of, yes, you're right. The stakes are very high that you're entire right. movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think they totally flipped that on its head Yeah, for the for the reboot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To me, I think Jumanji is one of the best done comedy. And there's a reason why, why it did so well because it, you know, it's a classic four-quadrant movie. You know, it's, it's young, old, Male, female. Everybody can can it can appeal to everybody. People went with their families. I know fifteen year olds who went with their dads. Twenty five year olds who went with their moms. I mean, you know, everybody just go out. Hey, yeah. we're we're home for the holidays. We're home. Around yeah, December. everyone can like it. Yeah, let's go as a family Both. Saturday morning. Let's go see it. Like, listen, you think I can go see uh, Avengers with my dad? No, he's not going to go see Avengers, but he would go see Jumanji. So that's why I'm saying it just has so much mass appeal. Not that Avengers doesn't have mass appeal. But again, it's a specific, it's a more specific demo. Right. Yeah. Avengers, I was, uh, I didn't think that was going to be, when I went to the premiere, I did not think that was going to be a family affair. They were families. Sure. There were babies there. I was like, dude, what a commitment to the, that was. Don't, a- don't give me any spoilers. I haven't seen it. Oh, dude, no way. What am I, crazy? I haven't seen any of that. We, had, we were in like a group text with like 30 of our college buddies. One kid, like 
the first night it's out, one guy like, sends a text and gives a spoiler. The first night. Yeah, I was like, and everyone's like laughing about it. I'm like, that's not no. I don't actually I don't have any friends who would talk about Avengers in the group text, so I guess I'm lucky. Yeah, I mean, you are lucky, honestly, in a sense. You're, you're free, you're free, man. I don't, I don't know if I'm... It's a normal thing to talk about in a group text. We're, we're big into it. I'm not as connected to Vendors as I am Game of Thrones, though. Like, if someone spoiled Game of Thrones for me, I would be really bummed. But they, also, like, they, shame on me for not watching Game of Thrones the night that it comes out. Understand you that, but also... Watch. Oh, no, I do. I'm I'm there right when it goes on HBO we, Go, and I'm, and I'm oh, watching. Right. shame on you first. If, if, yeah, I'm, I yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, if someone's... Honest, yeah. If someone's not home, like, you... So you have, like, one person wasn't home, and, like, he thought it started at 7, which is, on, and I hate to be like, it's completely pathetic on his part, because we've watched the first, it, it is, we've watched the first two episodes at 6 o'clock, right. and we've given people 15 minutes, like, leeway, you could Postmates, if that gets in at 6.15, you're, you're, you're good, the latest will start at 6.20, like, we get a text message at, like, 6.05, this guy's, like, I'll be home at 6.50, and, like, at that point, we're sitting there, and then it's almost, we're going to wait for you, because we're not assholes. But it's like a little like, dude, come on. Talk about changing how I'm coming into the the beginning of the episode. Our friend, I'm like, like already rear. I'm like pissed already. <laughs> yeah, I like to <laughs> delay it. I like to delay it for some reason. For some reason, every time it's on, I I, I I'm waiting all week, and then when it comes time to turn it on, I'm like, I don't want to do this because I just feel like it's gonna, it's gonna be over. It's gonna, in an hour it'll be over, and then I have nothing to uh, look forward. Close and like yeah, and then at the same time, I also know I'm gonna be disappointed. I'm always disappointed. Really? I'm amazed, but at the same time, just like, look, the last one, episode three with the battle, bruh, many cool things. That was the dumbest military plan I have ever. It had no military strategy. The military strategy had no military strategy. We also did. Semidothrakian blindly was horrible planning. Just idiotic. It looked awesome. It looked awesome. Also, it was beautiful. Beautiful. So for that was worth it. Yeah. But what were they thinking was going to happen before she lit their swords on fire? They were just gonna go with a bunch of regular swords. Why did oh, they make dragon glasses? Yeah. your listeners are probably no, no. Uh, also, right now. what was Thrones the uh, my mind? What was the plan in the first place? Did we even hear it? Not really. Not Here, in the episode here's before. What they should have done. Okay, not one friggin' fire mode. They should have had six or f- five or six multiple fire modes. Then you put. I read an article that just analyzed from actual military strategists how to properly. They said they made every mistake in the book. You don't put the catapults in the front. You don't put your light uh, cavalry. In the front and charge blindly. You let the enemy come to you, and then you flank on the side. And then you flank on the side with the cavalry. I don't know anything about military strategy. You don't put your infantry behind the cavalry like that, and you also don't put the fire moat behind all of them. You put the fire moat out first. Then, when they come and they can't get over it, you pick them off with archers. You have dragons blowing fire on them. Also, here's another thing. Why didn't they do like the classic Viet Cong shit where you dig a ton of huge ditches, cover it with some stuff, put spikes on the bottom of dragon glass. When they all come running, they fall into the ditch. Half of them die. It's because they're talking Buddy, about – I would have been the best talk- general. You would have cr- – I mean, listen, I <laughs> crushed. It's, it's, I, you know what? Like now that we're trying to talk about who the LVP of it and it's like clearly like the people at, at the like, – that's – you know what the issue was is? And I'll blame this and I, I feel like I've been hating on her for weeks on the show too. Daenerys, I mean why is Tyrion – why is Tyrion in the in in, in the in the cab? Why is he down there? Like he sh- if he would have thought of that. Yeah, but here's the thing. Fuck them all. All right, they sat the night before and fucked around and sat around drinking and singing bullshit songs. If that would have been me, I would have been walking around like a fucking anal retentive nerd. Like, what do we not think of? Are we gonna you know like when yeah. I have a party, I don't even go to bed. I'm like, are we gonna run out of ice? Are we gonna run out of cups? Do I have enough? Is there trash cans? Are there this? Like, I plan. I'm a planner. 
You think I'm the night before the yeah. friggin' Army of the Dead comes? I'm just gonna sit around. And it's not. No, it's I'm not, not going to a party without ice. I'm and just saying yeah. that. Yeah. By the way, my parties will never run out of ice, bro. We get to a party, a, the toss. Like I felt bad for you, honestly. We went to a Halloween. Was it Halloween? I don't know. It was a Halloween party in the hills at our buddy's place. They had this ridiculous house next to Seth MacFarlane, where they pay like shekels, like nothing. Like they pay. I pay more than some of the people that live in that house. It's a huge house. I don't know how they've done this, but they have this massive house in the hills, and they have like this Halloween party of like three to four hundred people. No ice. None. <laughs> Not a cube. <laughs> never, single cue would never occur to me it's the first never thing I happens it's the first thing I get. and they're like making me that guy when I walk in I'm like where's the ice now he says it every time you deserve to have that said every time I have a very well known Christmas party every few years the last one I just had it was 482 people came to the door and I turned my house into a winter wonderland for Jew I do Christmas really well yeah. and I think of every detail it's very important I want people to have a good time I never run out of anything you don't want to look silly. I mean, you don't want to have a party and look foolish. I mean, again, like with these guys in Thrones, it's like you have to think. I mean, like you have, to, you have to think of everything. You have to think of everything. And then I think on that note, we'll go to four down territory. And we'll, we ask the same person every time, favorite sports memory. But you're in the film industry. If you don't have a favorite sports memory, all good. Your favorite memory on set. But if you do have a favorite sports memory, you do have a favorite sports memory, I've been to a couple. I've seen a couple cool sports things, man. Um. I was actually at the Mike Tyson fight when he bit Holyfield's ear. Really? Yeah, I was there. I was in the stands. I was actually at the fight when Tupac got shot, too. Really? And Tupac came out. He was trying to come through the tunnel during the, the national anthem, and they stopped him because, you know, you're not supposed to walk during the national anthem. You have to stand there for a minute. And he was, like, getting pissed with the security guard. And a lot of people in the area were noticing that he was getting pissed and yelling during the anthem, and so they were getting annoyed. And then when they – finished the anthem and they let people walk he came walking in like throwing up west side and yelling at people in the stands and like kind of really instigating a lot of shit and i was like wow he's, he's, you know what's, what's his deal an hour later i'm at the tables because the fight ended in a heartbeat mm-hmm. i'm at the tables and someone's like dude did you hear tupac got shot and i went holy shit i wonder if it was because of that and it probably wasn't but that's one and then the next one was i was at the fight when uh when, uh, when Tyson bit Holyfield's ear and no one knew what happened. Yeah, I was about to say, you probably couldn't even no, see No, everyone it. was like, what was going on? What was going on? Then they did a replay on the screen above and every, everyone collectively went, whoa, <laughs> what the... And people went crazy. So when Tyson started walking out with his entourage, everyone was throwing stuff at his him and his entourage and part of his entourage started charging into the stands. There were fights everywhere. I mean, it was a melee. It was crazy, dude. Crazy. That is chaotic. I'm like, that's a great one to be at. Yeah. You big, you big boxing fan? Were I used to go to a lot of boxing. Uh, just no, sports. My, my dad gambles time. a lot, so he likes to go to Vegas. So we go together. Yeah, that's awesome. Man, that those are two great sports memories, honestly. Yeah. But the the Holyfield Tyson fight with the ear is disgusting, oh, but that's crazy. yeah, <laughs> that's that's literally a bloodbath. Um, and then we'll close it out like we do with every guest with the two minute drill toss on the clock. All right, fire I'm away. Sure. Favorite and least favorite president? My favorite president is the president my dog is named after, who is Harry Truman. Uh, the reason – you want the reason? Yeah, the, please. The reason he's my favorite president is that I think he actually had the lowest approval rating of any president in, the, in modern history, lower than Nixon. He was at 22%. Nixon was at 23%. But history now judges him as one of the best presidents. He made all the right decisions when you look back in history. And he, he, made it, and he made it for the right reasons. And he was very controversial back then, which he paid the price for. That's not to say he didn't make mistakes, because he did. 
but for the most part, he's the kind of leader I appreciate. He's humble, and he and he tried to do what's best for the country, not in his personal interest. The worst president, I mean, let, you know, look, you can say everyone will say uh, it was uh, Buchanan, who was before Lincoln, who let the Civil War start, mm-hmm. or it was Johnson after him who let re- Reconstruction fall apart. Um, you could be Pierce, who was a, a non-present president, mostly because his son died while he was in office, and he was just over it. Um, so maybe it's one of those guys. Okay. Or Nixon. Fucking sucks. I mean, you know, here's the thing about Nixon. Nixon, you can actually point to a lot of interesting, really smart things he did. You know, he was a proponent of healthcare. He passed the uh, Environmental Act. He was he he was not a Republican by today's standards of Republicans. He was just a really egocentric guy with so many personal flaws that just he couldn't get out of his own way. Yeah, I don't mean Nixon not to really get into, but I don't mean Nixon from like what he's done standpoint. You know, because he was instrumental in getting us out of Vietnam, which is great. I just think, yeah, but he, keep in mind, he was instrumental in getting us out of Vietnam after he got us so deep into Vietnam, he had nowhere <laughs> else to go. He yeah. also expanded the war into Laos and Cambodia, did it illegally, secretly, and lied about it. And then he was like, fuck, now what do I do? I got to look like I'm doing something. And then he was able to sign a peace treaty with the Vietnamese. So let's not give him too much credit there. And then he disgraced the office. Right. So that's why I throw him in last place. Next up, <laughs> okay. Favorite sports movie? sports movie i'm going to say let me just think of a few here i bought bad news bears is a big one hoosiers is a big one rudy is a big one um god i'm missing one big one what am i missing rocky maybe you're all about the unsung hero these are these are yeah i appreciate rocky but if if, if it's not the kind of movie you know there are movies where when they come on tv and you have shit to do and they come on like oh great now i gotta watch this i can't do what i was gonna do i gotta f- change my day rocky isn't that movie from i love rocky yeah, but not. I mean, if I watch Hoosiers or Rudy, Dude, I watch Hoosiers all day. Then it's like, you know, yeah, come on. Remember the Titans is that other movie for me? I've where never if it's seen, remember? Oh, the it's Titans. great. I know. I have to watch. It's like one of those where I have to watch it if it's on. My first tattoo is going to be on my leg. I keep saying this. I'm gonna get it. Is on my leg. Um, remember the Titans? It's gonna be like the the last play. It's one okay. of like, like the X's and O's that the coach would draw. One of the, like, like, what yeah. a terrible tattoo! That is honestly one of the worst tattoos ever. Tattoo while you're at it. Go, go get a belly button ring, dude. I'm gonna get I'm a belly button ring, and then it's gonna be a chain of your face. Uh, you should go, <laughs> go, go watch the movie, and then tell me I'm crazy after. Uh, <laughs> All right, favorite non-sports movie. My favorite top movies are, in no particular order, but kind of disorder. Braveheart, uh, Dance of the Wolves. Shawshank Redemption, Glory, Casino, Last of the Mohicans. <laughs> None of those are comedies. Now, if you're talking about comedies, it'd be Dumb and Dumber, Tommy Boy. Uh, there's one other one I can't think of. It's a pretty pretty solid list right there. But those are movies, if they night. come on, I my day is ruined. Yeah. Okay. Go to karaoke song. Mm, I don't do a lot of karaoke, but... Uh, you know, I, I could mix it up with a few. I don't know. Maybe Dukes of Hazard. Okay. Yeah, that's a surprise. <laughs> Shocker. Favorite actor or actress? I got a lot, but uh, Daniel Lee Lewis is to me the, the guy. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. Michael Jordan, but... he's great. Go to drink. I'm currently a tequila soda guy, but I'm usually my official drink of is bourbon. That's usually what I drink. Trying to stay fit though, right now. Yeah, so it's just, <laughs> uh, keep it light. Yeah, yeah. 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 You. Have you seen you seen Harry Potter? Sure. Which oh, which sorting house would you be in? And Harry Potter. It's a good question because I know one is the bad guy hat, 
house. You got and then one is the good guy house, but they're a little bit like a little goody two shoes. I don't know how the other two. They're shades of gray. Are. They're not like good and bad. Uh, yeah, but Gryffindor they're a is bit like the noble, loyal. Slytherin's like the bad, bad like curmudgeonly, the and then Ravenclaw is like the, the smart, nerd, the, the smart, smart kids. nerdy. You're not friends with them, but you copy their notes. Oh. And Hufflepuff, Hufflepuff is like, like the, the lovable. Like, it's oh, the duff. It's the duff. It's the duff. Do they have the funny, cool guy, or at least thinks he's cool? Yeah, it's like. Griffin. Griffin. Could be a Hufflepuff. Could be. I a, feel like you know what? I'd be the guy who could travel around and go from. I have a couple friends in Slytherin and a couple friends, and I like to bring people together. You're the mingler. I like to bring the mingler. Yeah. Yeah, maybe like the groundskeeper. Maybe you're not creepy. in a house. Yeah. <laughs> the I just work there. He just so. works there. He's like Hagrid. It's like yeah, he guy brings everybody along. He thinks out, everyone likes him. Check out really? my animals. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. No, I never watched Harry Potter until I was assigned to do a movie called Monster High, which I, hasn't been made yet, but. I went and watched the full thing of Harry Potter, and by the time I got to the last one, I went, "Oh my God, what an amazing, amazing series! What, what yeah. an amazing arc!" So Second good. to only Lord of the Rings is what she's done. Yeah, I'm yeah. that adamant yeah. about it. Yeah. Uh, George R. R. Martin, actually, I would, I would put above all three. I'll tell about all of those okay. because the depth of J.R. Martin, George R. R. Martin's work is so insane so deep you can't even finish it it's so crazy <laughs> how much depth there is to every character in all the lore it's insane yeah i think i think tolkien could have gone for it i think he just curved it i don't know i think i'm a big the hobbits is the first book i ever read on my own so i'm right. a big proponent fair enough i never read the tr i had it never read it so it's so good all right favorite jewish food uh, you know, <laughs> I'll tell you a food that I've it's actually – one of the best reactions I've ever had. I've actually come – have you ever heard Sebastian Maniscalco's yeah. take on – he's hilarious. It's um, favorite. It's – I've actually come full circle on is I used to hate gefilte fish. Gefilte. Now I actually like gefilte fish as long as there's a ho- enough horseradish. But that says something about if you have to burn your You just mouth, want the horseradish. Like it's, yeah, basically. Yeah, you don't even want to taste a, it. It's a horseradish delivery system. <laughs> yeah, I've seen people um, at like Passover take it and just, just dunk it yeah, right yeah. in there and just Ooh. go – You know, I, you would – you would toss. I don't, have you ever had it? Yeah, I've had it. Oh, you did not. I can. It's that not a great. Not, it's not good. It's not great. I was you know, my life. I, like my it. Polish grandmother used to make amazing blintzes. You know what a blintz? Yeah, blintz blintz. Are? Like it's like a pastry laps. type thing. Yeah, it's like, it's like a crepe with with cheese in the middle and the strawberry sauce. On yeah, yeah, thing. yeah. And she used to make those, and I so I, those I would say maybe maybe I have a nostalgic thing for that. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Guilty pleasure TV show. My new guilty pleasure is Kitchen Nightmares. Oh my god, it's so good. And it's like, like it's very emotional. You feel so bad for these people. Is, Gordon is it Ramsay's new show? No, it's Gordon Ramsay's old, old show. James That's Gordon. how old, old I. Am. That's uh, how late to the game I am. Chef Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> Here's what's amazing about the show: you you will realize how many restaurants you go to are probably being run so terribly, unhealthy. Even with the inspection, doesn't matter. The shit that these people are doing is mind blowing, and they don't know. Any he, he made us a point. He's like, if you want to be a doctor, you have to go through many barriers of entry education and intern somewhere and go to open a restaurant anyone can do it oh i want to be a restaurant guy you don't have to know what the fuck you're doing and you you watch this and you realize most people don't and they're miserable and they're sinking their house mortgage into it and they're they're fucked oh, speaking of food favorite restaurant in la mm. i mean good god i don't know there's a lot of good ones uh i live near taroni i think taroni is a good go-to restaurant i wouldn't say it's my favorite but as a good to i pass it is it good oh you never been always packed all good food cool. yeah you can't go on Toronto. cool nice all right one celebrity to be a presidential candidate who would you pick one celebrity to be a presidential candidate yeah oh, so we were talking about the jeff this is answered crazy. charles barkley jeff, yeah, yeah jeff stoltz said charles barkley went on a rant <laughs> i mean you know what do you, are you do you answer this 
with somebody you really think could do because I know The Rock was talking about it, which I was like, buddy, don't just assume you can go to president. Be, be, do what Reagan did. He ran for for governor first. He learned the job. Yeah, and then you go bigger. Um, I don't know. I don't think any celebrity should become president. Okay, well then, who's they, a fun pick? Who's a fun? Um, pick? It, who would I want to see who'd run? Who do you want? Yeah, Will Ferrell. Okay, very easily. Will Ferrell would make. Well, he's already done every, it in a movie, so he would make every <laughs> debate awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I'm like, I think he should just run just for like, entertainment standpoint yeah. at this point. I would dig that. Who's his? Uh, who's his vice? Oh, come on. I probably John C. Riley. Does it have to yeah. be John C. Riley. Yeah, yeah. yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, dude. That's By like way, sac- did we just come up with a movie. I guess? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last to one. Theaters near you. <laughs> last one. If the you had the opportunity, the losing ticket. <laughs> Will Ferrell and John C. Riley, written by three dudes in a bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> last one. If you had the opportunity to remake any comedic film, which one would you pick, and why? Remake any comedic remake. Film? Uh, the fr- one of the first movies that popped in my head, Spies Like Us. With Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd, I don't know if you guys have ever yeah, seen it, yeah. but I, it's one of my favorite movies. I actually had a meeting with John Landis when I was doing West Bank Story just to get advice from him, and I said, because I, I love John Landis movies, and I said, "Your my favorite movie that by you is Spies Like Us." He's like, "What, really?" <laughs> and I said, "Yeah, it's an adventure. It's political. It's interesting. It's got stakes. It's you start a nuclear war. It's funny. It's a buddy comedy. To me, it's got everything. Yeah. If you found the right duo, sending them on a mission through the world as they do, I think is awesome." And Acolyte is so good. The two of those guys together were great. Murray's like next level and everybody knows that. But I feel like Dan Acolyte's kind of fallen. People like you say it now, he's like a legend, but people forget. No, nobody like my sisters are twenty, they don't know who Dan Acolyte is. Yeah. Yeah. But they'll know they'll know who Bill Murray is, right? Mm, Probably not. I mentioned Justin Timberlake the other day and they went, What? How old are you? And I went, Oh my god, what do you they're 20. He's 37, of course. They think he's old. Speaking of community. JT community. is like still an, an icon. He, yeah, but he's still old. For them, yeah. he's 37. That might as well be 107. I would give yeah. him my, I would give him You my should name. have said the guy from the Wait Till May meme. There's like a meme because every time it yeah, turns May, they like post I don't know what that means. Young though. JT. It. It's, it's going to be me in, uh, that, in that one song. People think that he says May, so yeah. they made a meme out of it. I would give my kidney to Justin Timberlake, not even a second thought. Right, boom! I think why? What is he? How, what he's the man. If he needed, it. I thought that was a serious. Hey, here, <laughs> Justin, you would like my kidney? <laughs> I was just gonna throw it at him at a concert. <laughs> That's kind of freaking weird. If he's dying, you want to help JT out for sure. I didn't know Can't that Jessica that was what was on the table. That's like a thing. Doesn't like, he have other friends that could do that? I'm just saying. Or friends, people that are actually his friends, not Josh. You're you're a giver. I like that. Sorry, sue me for stepping up to the plate to you're try just, to help out. You're a good icon. guy. You're yeah. a good guy. Yeah. You're welcome. And on that note, that's the show. All right, thank you so much for joining us, man. My pleasure. Uh, it was our pleasure, too. And to the fans out there, drag both feet inbound, swing on a full count, rip that puck, hit that putt, hit your PKs because they're free, grab that iron throne, and hit your free throws, guys. Why? Should I answer this? I don't know. Because they're free. We out you. We love you. Puts it up.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.